0: Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation, Growing Up Iruni, with Persian Poetics. Hello, my name is Leila Shams and I'm the host of the Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation podcast. Today's interview is with Muhammad Ali, better known as Persian Poetics, on both Instagram and Twitter. He went viral just a few months ago on a Twitter thread where he talked about the best-selling poetry book in the English language, a translation of Rumi's poems by Coleman Barks. In the thread, he went through a detailed look at Coleman Barks' translations and revealed that Barks doesn't even know the Persian language. So how is he translating Rumi? Since the thread went viral, Muhammad Ali has picked up the pace of his own more accurate translations of Rumi and other Persian poetry. He has a lot of other really wonderful poetry content that we'll talk about in this interview. His own personal story is also very interesting, of how he was born in Detroit and grew up there as well, but became enamored by the Iranian culture and eventually the language and, of course, the poetry. So without further comment, here's my growing up Iruni interview with Muhammad Ali of... Persian Poetics. Muhammad Ali, hello, and thank you so much for talking with me today.
1: Of course, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so you have a very unique uh, backstory. You run Persian Poetics, which is a uh, which is devoted to translating correctly Rumi poems, and you're on a mission to take down all those uh, fake translations on there.
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: So, I think a lot of people might have seen your uh, viral post about Rumi and Coleman Barks, which I reread today. It was just so well put together. And You're we'll too talk kind. about You're that. Too kind. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, let's talk about uh, where were you born?
1: Sure. I was born in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. But I grew up for the first few years of my life between Iran and America. My family was going back and forth basically because my mother had very recently. Uh, immigrated to America, and many of her family members were in Iran. And my dad's family, they were also, all of them were in Iran at the time. So we were spending time going back and forth. And my childhood, I feel like, regardless of where I was in a geographical sense, I was always in Iran, uh, let's say culturally, because my grandparents on both sides only knew uh, Persian, although they also, on my mother's side, I should say, they spoke Azeri as well. So that's part of the story because they're from uh, Tabriz. Right. But the the common language between all of us was Persian. So I only knew Persian until I went to preschool where I started to learn English via immersion. So regardless, um, the as we would say, or Sadi would say, uh, I grew up between the two countries, but it felt like I was basically in Iran for the first four years of it. Like an isolate, like a little Iran bubble, wherever I was.
0: Wow. So then what was your experience with learning English then? That was your second language.
1: Sure. So, (laughs) my dad was really worried about my uh, school. This is like a common theme among Iranians. I've even heard some people uh, hesitant to teach their kids Farsi because of this. So, he was worried I wouldn't do well in school. So, the advice of his friends who are also of immigrant backgrounds was to just send him to pre K and he'll learn on his own or kindergarten or something like that before first grade. And then when he goes to first grade, he'll already know the language. So, I was sent to kindergarten. And on the first day, my dad didn't have the heart to just let me go. So he sat from afar and watched me. And we were kind of late, actually. We were in the playtime, uh, uh, Zang, as we would say, the, the hour where you're outside playing. And I, my dad said I walked up to a kid and he was playing with it like in a sandbox. And I said in the only language I knew, <laughs> And then <laughs> the first English...
0: Which means... I... Yeah, are you yeah.
1: playing? Are you playing sand with sand, basically? And then the the first English words I learned was this kid just looks up to me and is like, "Go away." <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine like a four year old kid just like some random strange kid walks up, says something, you have no idea what's going on.
0: Wow. So then, what was your relationship with like Persian culture or Iranian culture? Like, did you feel right, like right. you were Iranian? Were you confused?
1: I don't think. At the time, we were developed enough to quite even understand how these things work. Because after that first day, I went home and I told my dad about uh, what happened, that I didn't quite know what was going on or what anyone was saying or whatever, you know, what was going on, basically. And then I asked him also about the different groups of people in the world. So when you're a really little kid, I mean, maybe in Iran, I had seen a person from China in the street, but you're not like perceptive of these things. But when you're in, you know, a playground, it's small, you, you really notice the different groups of people. So I said, dad, like there's a girl who her eyes are just like smaller than our eyes. You know, I was like four years old. I didn't understand the different groups in the world. And he said, no, like there's certain parts of the world, like even in next to Iran and Afghanistan, there's groups of people who look like that, but she's probably from East Asia. And then he explained what China <laughs> was. So right. then the next day to connect with her, I went up to her and I, oh, I, no. I don't know what I thought I said, like something about China. And she was probably really confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: And she was like, she's like, I'm Korean. Yeah,
1: something like that, yeah. So, so My dad says, uh, remarkably, it only took two months for me to start speaking English. When you're a little kid, it it happens so quickly.
0: Definitely. So then, yeah, how did you feel about uh, the Persian language? Like, did you keep speaking it? I
1: don't, you know, I don't know. I kept speaking it definitely because my grandparents lived with me and they only knew Persian. But the more you, you enter society in school... Kids, kids are very smart. They're much smarter than we think. You become cognizant of what the dominant culture is. So you, you, you become attached to the dominant culture. So that's why you'll notice Iranian kids, even if their parents don't even speak English around them at all, when they hang out together, they speak English. And this is, you know, it's human nature is wherever you are, you tend to try to be part of the main group. You know, it's just human nature to be that way. So, but I did speak Persian, but the one thing is that uh, when you don't become in a language, like if we don't do what, what you're offering, uh, your, your skills kind of are capped. You know, so we kind of say like, oh, farsi. like, you know, you just say, khubam, du but I, it was kind of still more developed than that because, you know, my grandparents would tell me about Iran and we would visit every summer. It wasn't developed in a sense of, you know, speaking formally or anything like that. So definitely as I grew up, it, it kind of weakened slowly. Until, you know, I visited more frequently and with the intention of improving my, you know, Persian abilities later on. Ah, so,
0: and we'll get to that in a little bit. But what then what about reading and writing? Did you learn that from an early age? My
1: grandmother was a Persian teacher in Iran. Ah, so perfect. they she always tried to teach me and it didn't work.
0: Oh. So then they thought,
1: <laughs> OK, maybe it's because you're his grandma. He's not taking it seriously. So then they signed me up for Persian classes. And I was a really bad person kid always, I would never listen. I would always be Bozzy Goosh as, as they say. <laughs> so then I didn't learn there. I mean, I learned, I knew how to read and write, but I, I didn't practice it. And I didn't see the, I didn't see the point really, to be frankly, I would always say, oh, what's the point of this? You know, there's no, there's no Persian name. And you know, kids are, they're, they're very like straightforward. They're very utilitarian. <laughs> so I still didn't learn. And then we used to attend every Friday. We used to turn, attend like a religious majlis where they would like try to teach us stories of the prophets and how to pray in the Quran. And my grandma and grandpa uh, were on both sides were religious. And they're like, you know, old school, small town Iranians. And they really, it was really important to them that I learned how to read the Quran and stuff. But I was always like the worst kid in the class.
0: So are you an only child too?
1: Yes, I am. An, I, I am an only okay.
0: child. Okay, me too. So we have very... Very uh, similar stories where I also grew up as an only child in Dallas and I lived with my grandparents. And so that was uh, what kept me speaking. But just like you, like kitchen Persian. And my mom had a Farsi class, so I had to learn how to read and write (laughs) as I was growing up. I was the daughter of the teacher. So even if I was rebelling, I I had to learn.
1: I always tell people, you know, even if it seems like an uphill battle, just try it. If you have kids that are young... Try your best because you'll never regret it. And if you're older and it feels difficult, it's just the the sooner you start, the better. And if anything, just to be able to skip language courses in college, because so many Persian kids think, oh, I wish I'd learned Farsi, because if I just knew two classes worth, I could just test out of it and save like $6,000 in tuition Right. But
0: there is, I mean, there's the fear that a lot of people have that their kids will hate it so much and they'll just rebel and they'll ruin any chances of getting them to, like, want to learn, right?
1: Right, right. So I guess
0: there's a balance.
1: I think making it interactive. Because the approach that they copy and paste from Iran, it doesn't work. It, it, it barely works in Iran, in my opinion. The schooling system, it's like rote memorization, let alone when you bring it to someone who understands how modern schooling works, you know, and you just... The way it worked for me, and I mean, thinking back, of course it didn't work, but, you know, to their credit, that's the way they learned. They just gave me a notebook and they said, okay, fill up one page with just Alephs. Right. And then fill up the next one with B. (laughs) And it's like having a kid write 10,000 letters in a row is not going to make them want to learn the language.
0: Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So, okay. So then let's fast forward. When did you get to the point where you really all of a sudden wanted to learn? And we have to point out here that your uh, your like handle on a lot of things is called Sharzadeh, yes. <laughs> which I'll let you yeah, explain. Yeah, it but is, it where, is, yeah. when did you get to that point?
1: Sure. So I think I was about thirteen or fourteen when I visited Iran. We didn't go for about four years. One year we visited our family members in a middle country. We, we just all went to China because we were interested in going. And it was a country that Iranians could also easily go to. And there was also like a world fair there that year. But then after that, two years later, we went and I hadn't been in five years. And, you know, if you imagine from uh, eight to 13 years old, that's the big difference. When you're eight, you're a little kid. No one cares that you can't read. It's expected. You know, you grew up in America. But then when I was 13... People started kind of being like, oh, you know, you can't even read Farsi. And I, you know, you were more cognizant of the world. I remember looking around thinking, wow, I can't read anything. (laughs) And I started to become interested in family history. And they're like, oh, here's a box of letters that your ancestors wrote back and forth. And I can't read any of it. So I became self-conscious. And I told my mom, "Okay, we have to start to learn again. (laughs) Please help me. And I started to learn. But then it really became important because when I was 15, I decided that I wanted to go live in Iran for a year. And experience uh, going to school there and being like a normal person there was part of like the growing pains, you know, when you're trying to discover your identity, this whole identity crisis thing. Yeah, so I think that was kind of part of it. And then before I went, my family said, "Okay, you can go, but under one condition: you actually have to learn Farsi." And then I did learn it. I did learn how to read. I got to the point where I could kind of read with pain. But then once I went to school, it was just like a crash course. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing is when you're. It's amazing, like when I, I tell this to parents, when they say, Oh, I don't want my kid to learn Farsi because of school. I say, look, man, you see people go to school and within two months, they're like flowing. You, you get like a guy from Iran to go to get a master's in America. And within two months, their English is like doubles in ability. And the same thing happened with me in Farsi, like within two months of going to, you know, normal Iranian schools, my Farsi improved so much.
0: Right. Okay. So then so in Iran, we have this uh, we have the same guys So can you explain that and how you got to Shahzad? <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: right. You mentioned that. So when this this is the same uh, at the same time when I went to uh, Iran to live there it, as part of the identity crisis, I was really fascinated with what it meant to be Iranian. And I noticed and this especially coincided with an influx of refugees and also internal migration to Tehran. So this, it didn't used to be like this, but Tehran, all of a sudden, because of economic reasons and wars, was full of Iraqis, Afghans, Kurds, Turkmen, people from all over the place. And especially on Fridays, on the days off, they would wear their regional attire. And I noticed that. I noticed that it seemed like everyone had a, a thing to wear, except for me, because I came from the two groups in Iran that lost their regional attire the most, the Persians and the Azeris, the, the Turks. So I became kind of self-conscious. So I thought, okay, if I don't have my own, I'll just borrow someone else's. So I got some (laughs) Kurdish pants, like the the baggy (laughs) pants that that (laughs) Kurdish people wear, and I would wear them. And my family didn't like it because they thought that, unfortunately, in Tehran, it's kind of associated with like being a refugee, working class, like, you know, like not not like an upright, you know, Tehrani raised American Iranian kid. And then I also we had an Afghan neighbor and he would wear the, the long shirt with like golduzi on the front with like all kinds of Persian flower designs. And uh, he gave me one from that he brought with with him from Afghanistan, and I started to wear that. And my family <laughs> would always get into arguments with me. They're like, "Why don't you just dress normally? Why can't you be like a normal kid?" I thought, "No, I love all these like obscure cultural clothes and things." And I would like I would go against the grain a lot. It was like kids in Tehran <laughs> yeah. want to be Western because they're tired of being Eastern, so they go to Western like Starbucks style cafes. But then I would take the metro for like 45 minutes to go to like the dingiest cafe in Tehran. Where like there was these, you know, you can picture like dudes with giant mustaches and like they're right. sitting there drinking tea out of dirty cups. I love it. Right. That was like I live for that stuff. Yeah. And I at the same time, I found out about this book called Tarzadigi that kind of like was talking about Iran's cultural shifts and stuff. So I was trying to read that as well. So that right. kind of became a joke in my family. Like they'd see me reading this, they'd see me, like doing all the <laughs> things I do. So they're like, "No, you're shadows," <laughs> that was like a joke. Yeah,
0: which means you're you're like an or like an Orientalist or something. Like you're uh, basically yeah. You're struck so, that, by the, that, the
1: right, east. yeah. now is like an Oriental term. Not Oriental. It's it's kind of like a derogatory term. For Iranians who, like, want to be Western really badly, so, like, right. they'll hear, like, they change their names, like, English names or something like that. Yeah. That traditionalists use it against them. Right. But then the, my family, which is, like, more Western-aligned, their joke to me was, like, you're the opposite of that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Which
1: is very surprising.
0: Right. <laughs> and then how did you transition to, so now you're learning Farsi, your Farsi's getting better, and then how did you get to the point where you were so interested in poetry? So now what you do is you're, you translate poetry. How did you get to that mm. point?
1: At the time when I went to high school. So to, to go there, there was a lot of exemptions made for me we had to basically, you know, the way it works in Iran is there's no real rules. Everything is just up to the people's discretion. Right. So they didn't want to sign me up for school here because of, you know, the way I was educated and all that. But basically through a bunch of begging and pretty, please, please, pretty, please, you know, be nice. Let it let him go here. They basically like winked and nod and said he'll like quit on his own in two weeks or a month. My fa I found out later that my family, they had agreed that I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't handle life here. But they re- they said that telling me that would like damage my ego. So they just said, let him do it and let him quit on his own. Because if we tell him he won't be able to, just to spite us, he'll torture himself and stay. So I think the school was also under the impression that I would like leave in like a couple months, basically. So they let me stay. And it was funny because the day before school was going to start, the principal like changed his mind. And it was like, no, we don't want to let you come here. You don't like have schooling, uh, you know, precedence in Iran. And then I begged him and he, he switched it back. So, you know, like in Iran. But anyway, we had a class there, which is where you learn Persian poetry and things like that because my Persian wasn't up to speed. They let me just read English books. So they just let me pick a few books and I write English books. But my classmates were learning poetry and I was fascinated, but it was like miles above what I could comprehend, you know, the classical grammar. So I didn't learn that. But when I started visiting back in the summers, I started to, you know, when I was in college, like 18, 19, 20 years old. I started to notice Persian poetry more. And I got on Instagram and I started seeing my relatives. You know, Iranians love to post poems on their social media. And I started to try to work my way through it. And one poet that I liked because he was pretty basic was Khayyam. Khayyam has short poems, short and sweet. The resonances are pretty global. Like everyone can kind of relate to the themes. It's, It's not like super coded or complicated. You know, life is short, make the most of it, et cetera. So I kind of started with him and I started to show to my friends and explain to them. And then as I kind of got better at reading him, then I just start to add poets that I would read. I'd start to read a little bit, like maybe a line of Hafez, spend like two hours trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. So just slowly build from there.
0: And then you got to the point that
1: now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I think, five or six years ago. But yeah, every summer I would come and I would just get more books and read through more books. And then when I was in uh, my last year of university, I took for So I was basically for the whole year I was learning Persian. I took two semesters worth of Persian poetry where we would open up Saadi and read a line and then have to say word for word what it was. And that's really what gave me the boost to get to the point where I am now. Otherwise, you know, self-study only gets you to a certain level.
0: Right. Definitely. And and just going back. So did you last the whole year in the school? Yeah, yeah I did. Wow. I
1: actually really okay. ended up liking it. I think that uh, there's this perception Iranians have that Iran is much worse than it actually is. Now, I'll disc- I'll say a disclaimer. Of course, Iran has its problems, its difficulties. No denying it there. Before this recording, we were talking about them. But there's another thing that I think Iranians are very isolated in the Iranian experience. So, for example, people in Jordan are aware that life in Iraq and Syria and Palestine and Lebanon is difficult. I mean, I was in Jordan. They know how bad it is and they feel it because they feel really close. You know, it's like if your brother has a really difficult life, you're saying, wow, he's my brother, you know, or, you know, people in Pakistan know how bad it is in Afghanistan. There's a lot of refugees, but I think that people in Iran, they both are not really that tuned into what life is like in nearby countries. And they're also they have this idea that Iran should be compared to other places like Europe right. or whatever. So they have this exaggerated sense of how difficult it is to live here. No, Again, that's true. I understand I'm privileged. I have an American passport and my family's from a decent socioeconomic background, all that aside. But for example, in Jordan, I didn't have central heating. I had to use like a little like heater, you know, in yeah. Iran people in the winter, they sleep like shirtless you know? <laughs> <laughs> or like we didn't Man. have like clean tap water, but like in any tap in Tehran, you can just drink out of it. And just generally, I think we're a very melancholy people. We always think, you know, oh, Iran is the worst country in the world.
0: Exactly. But okay, getting back to the topic. Back to the topic. So let's talk about your. So the way I became familiar with you, and I think a lot of people became familiar with you, was this viral tweet that you had about uh, Rumi and Coleman Brex, and We'll we'll link to that on this show notes. So can you talk about what you know? What point were you at when you wrote that? Uh, what? How did you even come up with the idea? and kind of tell us the background and what that led to afterwards.
1: Sure, yeah. So a small background to, to get into the actual story. I started this page uh, in my, I think I would say junior year of university, where I would just take those posts on Instagram that I liked. I would literally just screenshot them and then just type in a translation in my notes, screenshot that, and then make a, a post with two slides. And, and then what happened is the page slowly grew and my friends were following it. So one day I was just around the downtown of the University of Michigan area. And one of my friends said, oh, let's look at this bookstore. So I said, all right. And I went there and I was kind of surprised. And they pointed out, oh, look, there's a bunch of Persian poetry here. And I was kind of surprised by that. But, you know, in a university bookstore, it can be expected. There was like one translation of Hafez, but there was 15 Rumi books. And there was five copies of the same book, The Essential Rumi. And I thought, wow, Rumi of all people, because I used to think of Hafez and Chayam as the most popular which they are here. I wasn't actually, at the time I had no awareness of how Persian poetry was perceived in America. So I thought, Oh, Rumi's popular here, I guess, but there was no, not even a Khayyam book. So I opened it and I was reading and it just didn't read like what Rumi felt like to me. I didn't know that much about him at the time, but I knew what he read. Like And the book just didn't feel right, but it didn't think a lot of it. I thought, okay, maybe this is just like, you know, poorly done translation. I, I set it aside. And then uh later that semester in class, someone actually mentioned in an Islamic studies class that they asked the, the professor was a Sufi, actually, is Rumi a Muslim or are Sufis Muslim? Because I read this book and there's a lot of non-Muslim or stuff that like says I'm not a Muslim in it. And I was like, wait a minute, that was the book that I saw. So I went and approached her and I said, can I see the book? And she said, yeah, this is it. And I, I said, wait, that's the same book. So then I went back to the bookstore and I looked at it and I was reading through it and I read some stuff that said like oh i'm not a muslim i don't have any faith at the time i wasn't i wasn't very religious in my personal life but i knew that rumi was like the muslim muslim poet because in iran the way it usually works is if you want like a religious a poet that's not religious at all that even might criticize religion it's khayyam if you want a poet that's kind of like spiritual and kind of like khayyam it's hafez but if you're like sufi religious praying god that's roomy. I, at the time I knew that for sure. So then I thought, wait a minute, this can't be right. This makes no sense. So then I went and posted about it on Instagram and then it didn't get that much traction. Some people saw it again. It was my personal Instagram. It didn't have a lot of, a lot of following. And then one day I posted a say, like a year later, I posted a series of stories on it and people just started sharing it a lot. They started screenshotting it like manually before you could share Instagram stories and posting it on their story and being like at this guy, look at his story. Whoa, this is crazy. My friend was like, dude, this needs to go on Twitter now. And I thought I had a Twitter and I didn't really use it. I thought Twitters were the memes and the politicians that it's not really the place for like poetry. So then he's like, just do it. So then I, at the, I still wasn't convinced hilariously. And if you look at the thread, two of the tweets have like a three hour time gap between them. I think now it'll be like 55 weeks ago or something, but I because I, I got up and did some stuff and I came back and my friend was like, dude, your thread has like a hundred retweets and it has like four tweets completed. <laughs> so I completed it. And then throughout that night, I literally didn't sleep. It was like the first time in my life that I pulled an all nighter, not for school or anything, but just cause I couldn't believe it. Like just it, my phone like overheated and just shut off from the overheating because I was getting so many notifications. It was just like so many people because you, you had like, on one hand, there was like well-meaning Westerners who were like, whoa, I've been misled by this book. And you had Muslims who were upset and of all stripes, too. You had like the religious people who took like a religious fence to it. Then you had secular people who like still it's part of their identity. They felt like it's like, you know, stealing someone's culture. So like it really, you know, appealed to everyone, really. And then at that point, even though at that point I was taking Persian products seriously, I was working on it a lot. At that point, it became clear that like I really need to shift some full time attention working on this.
0: Yeah, you were really onto something. I mean, yeah, reading it, you you tied it to current politics. I mean, Trump was in the office right, right. at the time, and one of the tweets right, talks right, about yeah. how Ivanka Trump like tweets Rumi. Yeah, tweeted Rumi. <laughs> yeah.
1: His other daughter tweeted it too. His like less relevant daughter uh Instagram posted and tweeted this same quote or something. Someone sent it to me. <laughs> so have you heard from Coleman Barks at all? No, I haven't. And you know, I kind of almost feel bad in a way because I kind of went harsh on him and I felt really passionate about it, but I think part of some of the response has been like people kind of missed the point where instead of being like let's reclaim Rumi, some people have become like really focused on like attacking him where they're like making memes or they were like let's like spam his publisher, email his oh, publisher, wow. like send him letters. Yeah, so I don't know, I I kind of like I mean I could have I guess try to say something, but I haven't tried to connect with him. I'm sure maybe at this point he's aware of it, but I I almost feel bad. Like, I feel like if we did interact, I would just feel guilty because even though my, what I said still stands, I just feel that like the, the attack on his character is just, it's gone too far from some people. Sometimes I have to block people from my page because like, they're just like it, the tone they use is just not kind of what I'm going for with him. So right, <laughs> I don't know if we can ever communicate. <laughs> oh,
0: no, No, I mean, it was, it was an eye opener because I've always, you know, heard of these books and I've always like He's always been in the background, but I didn't realize how far the problem had gone. So what's going on with the page now? What do you what's what's going on with Persian Poetics? And
1: sure. Yeah. So since then, at the time, it was a and
0: that was only in like May. So this has been like a life changing year for you.
1: Right. Yeah. It's not, yeah. not even a year. Yeah. It's been crazy. So at the time I was focused on it. I was working on it a lot because, I, you know, it was Corona and I would finished university just recently. Like it was, I graduated actually that May. like it happened that month. Wow. And I was, I was looking for work as well at the same time. So I thought, okay, I'll get a job. And I still love poetry. You know, I'll also do this. But then when that happened, I had a lot of important people reaching out and saying, uh, this is, this needs to be, you know, continued. This can't just stop at this thread. There needs to be more. So when I started working on the page full time, basically, I started and also working on a book that's still in the works. But uh, you know, as time went on, I just contacted more people. I improved the website. I got the designs. I mean, if you're visiting the page now, you can scroll back. If you scroll back far enough, there, were, like you can see the post quality is improved. I started making videos, basically step by step, kind of like adding more information, or you know, like as we say in Persian, putting more meat on the bone <laughs> for for the the content of the page. But just basically trying to. Do, Basically fulfill what needs to be done and like what's what's not out there and also to raise awareness. Like I've been doing giveaways of authentically translated Persian books because there are so many books that are really well done, like especially by Dick Davis and stuff like that. But you know, there's like not enough copies being sold, not enough people know. Right. So just looking at a lot of things that I can do, hopefully. And,
0: and you used to do that uh, whenever you had one thousand new followers, and that got too much to- <laughs> too
1: right, much yeah, to give time Like I had I'm just 1, giving away followers. books. I would do a giveaway, but now it's, it's I mean, thank God. Yeah. But I mean, now it's like, I can't do that anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, congratulations on your <laughs> success. You I so mean, your work is wonderful. I love following your page. So tell everyone it's at Persian Poetics on right, Instagram. That's Poetics. where you're most active. Is that right?
1: Right. Instagram and Twitter are where you can find me, but definitely, yeah, definitely Instagram is probably slightly more active than, than Twitter, but all the, inf- all the information that's on one account will be filtered over to the other. But I think Instagram is where you can see it the most alive, where I post the right. most often. Yeah,
0: and also you post just like language things in general, which I think would be really interesting to our audience. Like different words that you've heard that you th- find interesting.
1: Definitely, yeah. Uh, I I noticed that as part of like the different. I, I noticed that if I post a lot of poems, people kind of get boring, bored. They like a rep, like a variation. So someone suggested, why don't you just post like a definition of a word that's that you find in a poem. And I found that people really like those. Yeah. And uh, and especially Persian speakers as well. One thing that was really heartwarming was someone messaged me in Farsi from Iran saying, you reminded me how beautiful the language I grew up speaking is. And I thought that was really heartwarming.
0: Wow. That's really cool. And so what do you have? What uh, advice do you have for people like us who have grown up in the United States, whose Farsi skills aren't that great, who want to start getting into poetry? Because I think, like you said, it's kind of like a code maybe in the beginning when you hear it. Although I think the same is true for Shakespeare too. I I feel like a lot of people in English, they'll hear Shakespeare and they just have no idea. And it takes practice of like listening to crack that code. So what is your advice for people wanting to get into Persian poetry?
1: Definitely. I actually just met someone uh, yesterday here in Tehran. I should mention I'm in Tehran now visiting, who is uh, Iranian-German who had the same question for me. And the advice I gave was just try your best to work through it regardless of how difficult it is. And the best way to do that is if you can get a side-by-side translation. So I post those on my page where you can swipe and see the Farsi and the English, but uh, there's many books. I've suggested some on the page, uh, Dick Davis's faces of love has a bilingual translation. There's, there's a few other books. Uh, if, if you can link to my information, I can respond to inquiries. I don't want to list off like 20 titles, but basically if you can find a book where the Farsi and the English are side by side, That's the best way to start because you can read the English to internalize the content. And then with that basis, you can try to work your way through the Farsi. And if you have relatives near you, like grandparents, parents, cousins, et cetera, who know Persian, and especially if they learned it here in Iran, they were studying it here with the the curriculum they have. That's like a really great resource. Never underestimate. Even if you just do a poem a day, uh, even a four line poem, like a high poem, a short one, within like two months, three months, you'll find yourself like going on your own basically. And it's certain small things that make it like difficult. Like if you learn like a few vocab vocabulary, or, like a few words here and there that that are kind of used commonly, a few like context clues, like, you know, what does what like a fawny and balki mean? Like these aren't used in modern Persian. Like what are like the matter? Like, ha, or what does the mean here when it's attached to a word mean? These like small grammar things that are different than spoken Farsi can go a long way in making it, more comprehensible. It reminds me almost of like learning a language. If you can get yourself to the point where you can listen and comprehend, like at least 50%, then you're at a really good point to just go on your own. And the same thing with Persian poetry. If you can get yourself to a point where you can at least understand half of what's going on, then from there, the the progress goes quickly. Like the first 50% is really difficult. And I'll admit that the next 50%, it gets, it just gets like a ball rolling basically
0: that is great advice and I think a lot of people who join us even if they don't know Persian they do know Persian poetry and uh, they want to get to the point where they can learn poet- definitely, Persian yeah. poetry and I think you've put together a great resource we'll link to all of these uh, on the show notes and uh, and you have a patreon where people can watch you read poems that's really important too um, right definitely and- if they
1: if they if they would like they can support the the whole effort basically. Uh, and there's many tiers you can choose for as little as two dollars a month. And resources related to uh, yeah, learning Persian poetry, reading it, uh, all, basically all this stuff I just talked about is on the Patreon.
0: Definitely, and it's a great way to just even learn the Persian language. It's a it's a nice way to to, to do the. But we also Muhammad Adi and I also have a project where we're going to be uh, talking about three of uh, three poems that he chooses. Uh, together on (laughs) on our poetry projects so we'll have those as well um coming up we have not recorded those yet we're we're having a difficult time you'd said when you were in tehran it'd be difficult to coordinate times right the hours
1: differences yeah it's so confusing
0: (laughs) it is it is and iran is like on a half time too so it was 8 a.m. Right, here, and yeah. it's like 5:30 p.m. there. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: But we'll figure it out. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna sure, do three sure. poems together. So that, uh, watch out for those. And uh, and it's been really nice to talk to you. Is there any any final final thoughts that you have?
1: Uh, I would definitely just uh, like to reiterate: focus on learning and improving Farsi for those iruni Americans. There, you'll never regret it, uh, and you'll never. There's never a better time than now. Because the older you get, the more busy you are, the more I mean, it's kind of, it sounds kind of weird, but the more your cognitive decline, I mean, the older you get, like the window of learning language, it's harder and harder. So just start now and uh, you won't regret it. You know, being able to, you know, teach farce to your kids and listen to poems and music and all that. And it's just a worthwhile effort. Saying as someone who went through the, the pain, it's definitely a worthwhile effort. So absolutely take the time and effort to do that.
0: Awesome. Well, it's very inspiring what you're doing. I love uh, watching you're your You're too
1: kind. You're too and, kind.
0: And we'll talk again soon.
1: For sure. For sure. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you. And that was Mohammad Ali of Persian Poetics. Again, you can find him at Persian Poetics on Instagram and Twitter and find his premium contents there as well. And my name is Leila Shams, and I am the host of the Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation podcast and premium courses. If any of this sparked your interest in better understanding the Persian language, check out our website at chaiandconversation.com, with chai spelled C-H-A-I. There we have conversational Persian lessons, as well as reading and writing lessons, and many poetry lessons as well, including three that we will be recording with Muhammad Ali. Most of our content can be found on iTunes or on YouTube, but to get access to our premium courses that really help you dive into the language, check out our webpage at chaiandconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. It's time to finally learn the Persian language. Also, check out our other interviews on this podcast, including interviews with Reza Aslan, Naz Deravian, Maz Jabrani, and many more. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, Khuda Hafez from Leila.